John Williams could make you feel this good about something so historically inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> 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 Don't give me John Williams and expect me to forget about that narrative. <laughs> All right. You're not hiding on this one, Roland. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where Mel Gibson is not worth the $25 million. <laughs> I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 2000 historical blockbuster drama, The Patriot. God, why? <laughs> no, 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 no. You were kind of surprised that I wanted to talk about this. You just wanted to get it out of the way. I did, because we cannot pretend that we weren't obsessed with this movie as children. And, like, now in the here and now, we're learning more and more every day how grossly inaccurate it was. Our 2020 vision is, it's intense these days. Gosh. <laughs> uh, before we get started, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, read. Tweet. Great review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to join our little watch party here. Before we get started, I'll just throw in a little trigger warning. We're going to be dealing with some intense and graphic war violence today. Three hours of it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing. We're going to be condensing a lot of this narrative. Guys, I like, uh, you know how I like to talk about every little thing? We couldn't possibly. Oh, no, absolutely no. not. We're going to be skimming over some things. Hate us or love us. We don't have the time. <laughs> Especially for Mel Gibson. Especially for this... Especially for this whitewashed version of American history. Exactly. But isn't that all of American history? A lot of it, yeah. Just whitewashed. I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me. And the cost is more than I can bear. A past he wanted to forget. I've been to war, and I have no desire to do so again. I have seven children. I do not wish to leave them fatherless. A family threatened by war. We have to do something. I forbid you to go! My child! You're my child! A son fighting for his beliefs. Father, I thought you were a man of principle. When you have a family of your own, perhaps you'll understand. When I have a family of my own, I won't hide behind them. Hang him, put his body on display. Colonel, I beg you, by the rules of war. Would you like a lesson, sir, in the rules of war? Or perhaps your children will. Before this war's over, I'm going to kill you. Why wait? I'll come back. Might I request, sir, that you transfer my son here under my command? I'll fire first to start with the officers. We don't know when or where they're going to strike. Where'd you learn all that riding, shooting? My father told me. How many were there? Maybe one. One man. Sounds more like a ghost than a man. This ghost. Bring him to me. How many men does Cornwallis have under his command? 12,000 redcoats. I'm here to enlist every man willing. Who's with us? 
This is not the conduct of a gentleman. I'll take that as a compliment. Welcome to July. I kind of wanted to do this first to kick it off because obviously Independence Day has, I, I don't know if it's come or gone yet, but it, you know, I just thought it would be interesting to do a film about the American Revolution and look at it with a pair of 2020 eyes. Like, guys, if you had asked me even two years ago what my favorite holiday is, it's usually Independence Day. But. <laughs> My love for this country is not as palpable as it once was. And then to add insult to injury, this movie that we loved as kids, like, it's just so grossly inaccurate. <laughs> we exposed the wizard on this one. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Pay no attention to that white supremacy behind the curtain. Like, the historical accuracy of this movie, the costumes, the settings, the characters was all supposedly overseen by the Smithsonian Institution. Like, the first time the institution ever directly worked on the production of a movie. First of all, surprising. Second of all, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so I don't know how that works. You're but surprised, like, but not surprised. Like, I'm surprised the Smithsonian agreed to work on a film production, and uh, I'm also not surprised that it turned out the way it did. Yeah. Yeah. This is a gorgeous movie. It, no, guys, great film. Great film. Just very problematic. Like, what were you... You were comparing it to Oliver Stone's JFK. Like, JFK, that's a great movie. Beautifully done by Oliver Stone and his team. Demonstrably false. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. And this is kind of the same way. The Patriot won the Academy Award for Best Cinematography the year it came out, and I totally see that. Like, this movie is just composed beautifully, from the cinematography, to the acting, to the music. Music. And guys, guess who our conductor is for today? Is it John Williams? It is John Williams. John Williams churns out another blockbuster score. Like, it's just, it's great music. And it does make me feel patriotic. Like, it does make me want to go fight for what I believe in. An $110 million budget grossing $105 million. <laughs> So, you did okay, guys, because you know who we have back with us? Who? Mr. Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Who is the director of one of my favorite movies, Independence Day. Yep. Also creator of such blockbusters such as The Day After Tomorrow, 2012. He's also openly gay. Oh, really? I know. I, he's the 15th highest grossing director of all time. That's a good segue as any into We've Got Names. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to go through this entire cast because we won't have time to talk about everybody. So I've narrowed it down to some crucial characters, all right? Okay. Playing our protagonist, Captain Benjamin Martin, we have Mel Gibson. Ew! <laughs> Hi, Mel! <laughs> The star of Lethal Weapon, the original Mad Max, the voice of John Smith in Pocahontas. And then I love how you brought this up. He's also the star of Braveheart. You mean the prequel to The Patriot? (laughs) (laughs) Guys, Mel Gibson got paid for playing the same role twice. Like, the characters of William Wallace, a non-fictional character, a character from history, and um, Benjamin Martin, um, the fervor and the passion there is the same. And they picked... 
they picked Mel Gibson, I think, because of his performance in Braveheart. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, it, they're two independence epics. Come on. And the character of Benjamin Martin is actually a composite of a lot of figures in colonial history, such as Thomas Sumter, Nathaniel Green, who was in the army, uh, Francis Marion, for whom the county we live in is named. Marion County, Indiana. Francis Marion was a highly problematic character in United States history. He was a rapist. He was a slave owner. He killed Native Americans for fun. Yeah. Like, gla- I'm glad that Dark County has his namesake. <laughs> Not. Exactly. Mm. Playing our chief antagonist, Colonel William Tavington, please welcome Mr. Jason Isaacs to Kicking and Streaming. Has he not been here before? I don't believe he has. I don't think so either. Guys, Jason Isaacs, you know him as Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter franchise. Indeed. He was Hook in that 2003 adaptation of Peter Pan. We need to do that. I know. We need to do that so bad. And he's very well known for his voice work as well, like the voice of General Zhao in Avatar The Last Airbender. Indeed, indeed. I wish he didn't always play bad boys because I'm insanely attracted to him. Uh-huh. It's, uh-huh. it's the Shakespeare of him all, yeah. you know what I mean? I know. The presence, the voice, the acting. Oh, I can't. Playing Corporal Gabriel Martin today, we have Mr. Heath Ledger. Rest in peach, you beautiful soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'll know him from 10 Things I Hate About You, which is one of my favorite teen rom-coms. You'll also know him from Brokeback Mountain. Which we did not do for Pride Month. We did not. <laughs> and infamously as the Joker in The Dark Knight. Why so serious? Playing Charlotte Selton today, we have Jolie Richardson. She was Anita in the 96 version of 101 Dalmatians. With Glenn Close. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. She was also in Event Horizon, which is a movie that messed me up royal. Playing Colonel Harry Burwell, we have Chris Cooper. Uh, you might remember him from American Beauty, The Born Identity, Sea Biscuit, and one of Ross's favorite movies, August Osage County. Y'all will see why I'm happy about this in birthday month. <laughs> We're going to be doing August Osage County in birthday month, aren't we? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Anyways. Playing Major Jean Villeneuve, we have, oh God, I'm so sorry if I butcher this. this Checky Carrillo? Checky Carrillo. Maybe. He is. If we butchered that, y'all, we're so sorry. Very sorry. He is Turkish. He is mostly in French cinema, but you also may recognize him from Goldeneye, the James Bond movie. He was in The Good Thief. I spelled thief wrong. (laughs) You spelled it good thief. (laughs) (laughs) And Addicted to Love. I've, I've never seen any of those movies, but I do enjoy him in this film. Playing General Cornwallis, we have famous historical drama actor Tom Wilkinson. I love Tom Wilkinson! He is God's gift to period pieces. One of them. One of them. He just looks like someone who belongs in them, and he's got this incredible screen presence. He's in Ross's favorite show ever, John Adams. He's Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, he sure is. Which I think is funny, because he's Cornwallis in this. And he was also in Shakespeare in Love. Bad. Girl with a Pearl Earring. Uh, He was in Batman Begins and that horrible movie you love about the exorcism. The exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, because it has Laura Linney in it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's why you love that movie. It is. It's also kind of spooky. Anyways. 
playing Captain James Wilkins today. Please welcome back Mr. Adam Baldwin. Mr. Adam Baldwin was in our second kicking and streaming feature when we covered Independence Day. And I'm sorry, he's yummy. And I see why <laughs> Roland Emmerich picked him a second time. <laughs> he's got a relatively small part in this movie, but I just, I love Adam Baldwin every time I see him. Uh-huh. All right, now that we've talked about the cast, we're going to bring you to Ross's History Corner. Hi, guys. (laughs) Welcome. I'll try not to keep you too long. Just bear with me, okay? I also need you to remember that most of these people went to school in the United States and learned about American history. Sure. (laughs) That being said... So the beginning of our narrative uh, lays us in South Carolina in 1776. The American Revolution has already been on for about a year. Basically, the 13 colonies of British America under the yoke of the British Empire and the Mad King George III are really upset about taxation without representation. The good fight started up north in New York and in Massachusetts, where, you know, my homeboy John Adams was working at the time. (laughs) Um, This whole movie places us in the southern theater of the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. Basically, it chronicles how General Cornwallis was was kept in the South to prevent him from taking out Washington's momentum in the North. At the start of the movie, we're before, this is happening before the Declaration of Independence is released. In South Carolina at the time, when it was the province of Carolina Colony, there was like a big rift between colonists on whether they're for independence or whether they're not. There were a lot of loyalists in the South because in the South, what do you have a lot of? Plantations, slaves, industry. You know, this is where the money is. This is where the landowners are. And so the British aristocracy in the colonies was kind of centered in the South. So the loyalists had a very strong hold on that part of the colonies. And the representatives that were being sent to the Continental Congress in Philadelphia absolutely did not want the General Assembly in South Carolina to vote to fund the Continental Army. Mm -hmm. They did not want to be taken out from under British rule that quickly. All because Virginia and Massachusetts were having some issues with the British. (laughs) Right. They did not think that one colony had the right to take all of the other colonies right into war. (laughs) They're like, hey, 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 just because you got an issue, don't drag us into this. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like, you Whigs and you Tories fight it out amongst yourselves. (laughs) And it's, yeah, and guess what it was mostly about? Money. (laughs) (laughs) Money is the root of all evil, everybody. Indeed. (laughs) If this is your first episode of Kicking and Streaming, welcome. We hate money. So that's where we are. Carrie Ann, take us on. Like you said before, we're in South Carolina, 1776. We begin on a quaint little farm belonging to French and Indian War veteran Benjamin Martin. He's a farmer, a chairmaker, a widower. He lives on this farm with his seven children. That poor woman. I know. His children's names in order of age, beginning with the oldest, are Gabriel, Thomas, Nathan, Samuel, Meg, William, and Susan. Plenty of sons there, Ben. Yeah, for real. Mm. Susan is the smallest one, and for reasons that aren't really explained, Susan just doesn't talk. She's like three years old, and she just doesn't speak. That baby does not look three. (laughs) I'm sorry, it doesn't. It really doesn't. (laughs) It's a very exciting day on the Martin family farm because the mail is here. Yeah, guys, you can't just get the news every 12 seconds. <laughs> it's 1776. Someone has to ride out to your farm and bring you your mail. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my Stop. tail. Stop. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Thomas, who I believe is 14 years old. Something like that. Something like that. And Gabriel, who is 18, are the children who get the most screen time at the beginning of the movie. Because at the time, the nation is flirting with the idea of going to war with England, and both Thomas and Gabriel are excited at the idea that they're going to get their chance to join the Continental Army. Because daddy was a baddie back in the day. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and they just want to be just like their dad. Can't wait to dive into that. I know. Going on. Thomas is especially jazzed at the idea because it's one of the most honorable things you can do in that time, right? Murder, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's got little metal soldier men that he's always setting up and playing with, Mm -hmm. dreaming of the day he'll be able to shoot a red coat in the face. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, it's the way you said it. I know. Going on. So what was in the mail? The New York and Pennsylvania assemblies are debating independence. What about the middle colonies? What does it say about the Continental Congress? It says here they'll make a declaration of independence by July. The mail, the mail on this day holds news of a general assembly to be held to decide whether or not South Carolina will join the other original 13 colonies in going to war with Britain. And Benjamin's presence is required. Why? He's a member of the general assembly. Oh, okay. He's, a, he's an elected official. So we get to take the family on a road trip to Charlestown, South Carolina. Which we know today is Charleston. I don't know why we took the W out. We did. <laughs> We meet some more family in Charlestown. Uh, we meet Aunt Charlotte, who is the sister of his late wife. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I bet she looks just like his wife. I know. And so that's probably hard. Benjamin is sweet on her. I love it when she's like, there, when she first sees the kids and they run up to her. They're huge. What have you been feeding them? Well, they're from good stock. On their mother's side, of course. <laughs> All the meaningful eye contact. I see what stock you're taking, Ben. <laughs> Anyways, Gabriel is walking around that evening enjoying the pre-assembly activities such as firing pistols into the clear blue sky and burning effigies of King George in the street. I wonder how people didn't just die trying to celebrate. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. There had to be a misfire a couple of times, you know what I'm saying? Because this is back when you had to take three minutes to load a gun. Yeah. (laughs) A musket or a revolver. And you know that liquor is involved. Indeed. So yeah, let's just be firing guns into the sky. Gabriel's walking around. He comes upon the steps of the Capitol building where a crowd has gathered to hear Mr. Peter Howard speak. Peter Howard was a veteran of the French and Indian War, just like Benjamin, right? Peter has a daughter named Anne. She's very young, about Gabriel's age, very pretty. And they knew each other when they were kids. He used to pull pranks on her, like putting ink in her teeth so that her teeth would turn black for weeks. Children are evil. (laughs) No matter what time you're in, children are just the worst. The next day at the General Assembly, Peter Howard is one... (laughs) Guys, she wrote George. She wrote that his name was George throughout her entire notes. His name's Peter. So if I misspeak, I'm very sorry. I don't know where you got George from. I don't either. Maybe the king? I don't know. (laughs) The next day at the Assembly, Peter Howard is one of the loudest voices for independence, alongside Colonel Burwell, who is also an old friend of Benjamin's. Also fictional. Yeah, also incredibly fictional. This is Chris Cooper. Eight of the 13 colonies have levied money in support of a continental army. I ask that South Carolina be the ninth. Massachusetts and Virginia may be at war, 
but South Carolina is not. Here, here. This is not a war for the independence of one or two colonies, but for the independence of one nation. Bur- what Burwell is asking South Carolina to do is to vote to levy money in favor of the Continental Army as a whole, because eight of the colonies have already agreed to, and he wants South Carolina to be the ninth. It really was kind of down to the last second for South Carolina to be like, oh, shit, okay, yeah, <laughs> we'll do that. Get your hat, get your gun, it's time to go. <laughs> and the shot heard around the world. It's the start of the revolution. Anyway. Benjamin is kind of caught in the middle here because they're going to need his vote in order to pass this levy. He's wary of the war for two reasons. He's already seen some shit in the French and Indian War. And done some shit. Oh yeah, and we'll get back to that later. And number two, he's got a whole fam damnly to support. <laughs> he, go, he says to everybody, he's like, I have seven children. Who will care for them if I go to war? I love his line where he says, This war will be fought not on the frontier, or on some distant battlefield, but amongst us, among our homes. Our children will learn of it with their own eyes, and the innocent will die with the rest of us. That shit's real. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine. We have lived in border security our entire lives. The thought of having to be a child in that time, where your fathers are largely absent, Because they're trying to protect you Mm -hmm. from not only bloodshed at the hands of your oppressors, but also from people who they themselves oppress. Mm -hmm. And for children to have to grow up in that and understand that... I can't even imagine the trauma. I am not unsympathetic to Benjamin's position either. He doesn't want to bring the bloodshed to his front door. And, like, I, I kind of respect him. He says, I will not fight. And because I will not fight, I will not cast a vote that will send others to fight in my stead. And your principles. I'm a parent. I haven't got the luxury of principles. This upsets Gabriel very much because all he wants to do is fight. Well, shit, Dad. (laughs) Thanks for being my hero. He wants to fight for independence and be a war hero just like his dad, and he's very disappointed that Dad would fold so easily without casting a vote. So as soon as they pass this vote, Gabriel is signing up for the Continental Army. Do you intend to enlist without my permission? Yes, I do. Father... I thought you were a man of principle. When you have a family of your own, perhaps you'll understand. When I have a family of my own, I won't hide behind them. I love that. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Suck on it, Dad. You thought you had principles, dick. (laughs) And so he does, and uh, right after that, what happens, Carrie? Ding dong, the British Army is here to occupy South Carolina. (laughs) No more ports. No more goods. No, don't you dare fight with Mommy. I'm taking away your toys and your rights and your goods and your money. Oh, God. We get a time jump with a voiceover of Gabriel reading a letter home to family from the war. The war is not going great. (laughs) It's... How are you doing this morning, Mr. Campbell? Not great, Bob. Yeah, the war's not going great, Bob. (laughs) Lots of Continentals are dying. They don't even know what to do with all the bodies. One night on the Martin farm, everyone's just trying to relax, even though they can hear cannon fire in the distance. And this is when Gabriel, 
unexpectedly shows up. He was with the Continentals nearby, and he's been wounded. He's carrying very important correspondence, so he can't allow himself to be captured. He limps onto his family's farm, goes in the house, and seeks shelter. And I love this, because they don't know it's Gabriel at first. Yeah. They think it's an intruder. And, like, Gabriel's limping into the family room, and you see Benjamin behind him raise a pistol. Slowly turn. Father. Uh, Abigail! Water and bandages, back. And then, like, and the way Ben's like, oh shit, it's you! <laughs> so we start ripping off his clothes because we gotta get Heath Ledger half naked. <laughs> and, um,. You know, Gabriel's like, hey, listen, um, I'm carrying some very important letters. Um, I need to get to Camp Hillsboro. And he's like, you're in no condition to ride. Lay the fuck down. The problem with all of this is because British forces are so relentless, they basically chase the Continentals onto the Martin property. There's literally a firefight happening in the front yard. Like, the, the, Benjamin's whole air of, well, fucking shit, during this whole thing. <laughs> yes. Like, this is exactly what I told all those other white men men I didn't want. We cut to the next morning, and the Martins have taken in every wounded soldier they could find. <laughs> Red coat, blue coat of light. We're all being tended to at the farm. And, like, this whole kumbaya place of ceasefire thing lasts all of five seconds before the British Green Dragoons show up. Talk to me about the Dragoons real quick. The Dragoons were a unit kind of separate from higher British command. The Dragoons themselves, you, you've heard of Green Berets. Yeah. Right? It's it's kind of, it's, like, Green Berets will fuck you up. Like, the Dragoons are kind of like a special force, you know? They were known for their their brutality, but this is another thing with the inaccuracy of the film. The Dragoons were brutal. Yeah. It was a war. Yeah. There was brutality on both sides. But, like, the depiction of the British in this film is almost kind of laughable historically but the dragoons you know they they were there to impose might where the british army was imposing decorum and the rules of war they got some great looking hats too they do they do <laughs> uh they do look very gallant um but they're fucking evil yes the dragoons are led by colonel william tavington played by jason isaacs lieutenant have an attachment take our wounded to our surgeons at Winsboro. yes sir Fire the house and bombs. Let it be known, if you harbor the enemy, you will lose your head. He is known, colloquially, as the Butcher, because he is a loose cannon who is only interested in slaughtering traitors to the British crown. He immediately orders the Redcoats to set fire to the Martins' house and their barns, and he orders all of the rebel Continentals be shot. The Martins fucking nursed half of his men to health mm-hmm. after a battle. Like, and he's, fire the house and barns. I just want him to look at Benjamin Martin and go, well, let us hope that Mr. Potter will always be around <laughs> to save the day. <laughs> oh, and the worst part is they find the dispatches that Gabriel was supposed to deliver. So they immediately detain Gabriel. And Benjamin is begging for his son's life because they're going to kill him. Like, it's not even a conversation. He's a dispatch rider and that's a marked case. Destroy the livestock. Save the horses for the dragoons. Colonel. This is a uniformed dispatch rider and carrying a marked case. He cannot be held as a spy. Well, we're not going to hold him. We're going to hang him. 
Colonel, I beg you, please reconsider. By the rules of war. Rules of war. Would you like a lesson, sir, in the rules of war? But when Tavington points a gun at the rest of his children, he has no choice but to let them tie Gabriel up and put him on the wagon. Shall I give you a lesson, sir, in the rules of war? Oh, he just, mm, he's so fucking evil. <laughs> Mel Gibson, no lesson is necessary. <laughs> Sorry, um, this, it's about to get big uncomfortable. Oh, it's about to get really upsetting. Big, big disturbing. This makes Thomas, the, the second oldest boy, very upset. And he decides that he's going to take action. He literally rushes the soldiers who were tying Gabriel up, tries to push them down. <laughs> And Tavington just takes out his pistol and shoots this child in the back. The shock that Mel Gibson portrays here. Like, I immediately expect Benjamin to, like, fall down crying, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, he's just like, did that just happen? And, like, I just, the the look in his eyes when he looks Tavington in the eyes. Like, his eyes are just so full of, why? Stupid boy. This is where the restraint of Benjamin Martin melts away. They set the house on fire. They set the fields on fire. They set all of their barns on fire and kill all their livestock. And they start riding away with Gabriel tied to a wagon. In a matter of moments, Benjamin formulates a plan. He runs back into the house that is engulfed in flames, retrieves all the weapons he can find. He comes back out, throws the 12-year-old and the 10-year-old a gun, and orders them to follow him into the woods. The next 10 minutes of this film... I didn't remember just how profoundly disturbing and upsetting it was. I know. Like, I, I was watching it, and I, my eyes were wide and my mouth a little bit open. I was like, I, could, I didn't remember just how traumatic the next ten minutes are. They come up on the Redcoat caravan carrying Gabriel. They're walking through, like, a ravine. And Benjamin's only plan is just to take out as many Redcoats as fast as he can with the help of his very young sons. He tells the kids to shoot the officers while he takes care of everybody else. Yeah. It's like three of them against 20 Redcoats. And these are the days when, like you said, it took two to three minutes to reload a rifle. So take plenty with you. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got a couple of muskets, too. I think muskets only took eight seconds. But two to three minutes? Just kill me. Yeah, right. (laughs) Listen to me. I'll fire first. I want you two to start with the officers and work your way down. Can you tell the difference? Yes, father. Yes, father. Good. They start firing on the officers, and after they whittle it down to, like, six dudes, Benjamin goes down into the ravine and begins fighting them hand to hand. He is fighting them with a tomahawk that he took from Native Americans that he killed in the French and Indian War. Yeah. And I'm like... Like I said, I know we've said, I know we keep saying we'll have that conversation and we will, but I'm like, Ben. He eliminates all but one red coat and the last one starts running away. And this is, this is really horrific. Benjamin chases him down, forces him into the creek, and makes mincemeat out of him with that tomahawk. (laughs) 
just the shot of him in slow motion bringing that tomahawk down again and again. He's spewing himself with blood. You can feel all the rage coming through the screen. And his three oldest children are just standing there watching it happen. Like, you can't even conceive of the idea of your father murdering a man in front of your eyes, let alone 20. Or helping him do it. Exactly! You know, like, big traumatic day for Nathan, Samuel, and Gabriel. Like, the looks in their eyes as they're all just standing there watching him kill that guy. Like, I'm just... mm. Like, they've already lost a brother, their brother is dead, and now they see this really violent side to their father. I think the, uh, I think a lot disappears in their eyes in this moment. Like Benjamin Martin walked into that ravine and the ghost walked out. Mm, I like it. I like the way you put it. Absolutely. (laughs) Because what happens is that exactly one redcoat survives his injuries long enough to be picked up by scouts, and he goes back to his camp and tells Colonel Tavington about what he saw in the ravine. Tell me, how many were there? Were they militia? Were they regulars? don't really remember how many. Maybe one. One man. Really. I could barely see him. He was there and then he was gone. Well, he just vanished. Sounds more like a ghost than a man. Yes. A ghost. You know what they called Francis Marion? What? Swamp Fox. That sounds foul. He was foul, Carrie. Yeah, he was. Very foul. Ugh. Benjamin takes his remaining children to Aunt Charlotte's so that they can be safe while he officially joins the Continental Army. Because they've killed his kid now. It's personal. It's become very personal. Like, I feel like this movie conflates the idea of patriotism with loving one's family. Yeah. Benjamin's out for revenge. This is not about serving his nation. Like, he's not the patriot, even though that's what we're led to believe. (laughs) Anyway... And Gabriel is still in the Continental Army, so he's going to go join him. Well, not so much join them as insist that Colonel Burwell places Gabriel directly underneath him. Shuts that shit down immediately. (laughs) Like, you're with me and only with me. Got it? That sucks. You join the Continentals to fight for your country and be a man and you have to serve under daddy? So we're commissioning Benjamin as a colonel, but not in regular army. We're forming militia. So we already have our standing army of the Continentals, but what we want is to get as many extra men as possible to fight in the militia. More guerrilla tactics, more, you know, espionage, more reconnaissance efforts for the actual army force. And the name of the game here is keeping General Cornwallis, the commander of the British army, in the southern colonies until the French are supposed to arrive. Remember the French swooped in at the last second and saved our asses? Indeed. Yeah, the French have promised 10,000 troops to the colonials. And this is where we meet Major Jean Villeneuve. You actually trust the French to keep their word? Absolutely. Benjamin Martin, Major Jean Villeneuve, French 7th Lightfoot. He's here to help train the militia. The hero of Fort Wilderness, your reputation precedes you. This would make a great video game. <laughs> it really would. Wouldn't it? I think you'd play the shit out of this. I sure would. <laughs> we get this scene where we finally get some solid time with General Cornwallis. Hey, Charlie. Like, we've seen him a couple of times up until this point, but this is like the first concrete scene. He's called Colonel Tavington into his office to give him a little spanking. This is Fort Camden. 
Cornwallis is disturbed by Tavington's uh, brutal guerrilla tactics in the field. You know, like murdering teenagers. <laughs> and now he's getting in trouble for it. Surrendering troops will be given quarter. These brutal tactics must stop. Is it not enough, my lord, that I have never lost a battle? You serve me, and the manner in which you serve me reflects upon me. I would have thought that a gentleman from a family as esteemed as yours would understand that. My late father squandered any esteem in which we were held, along with my inheritance. Tavington has something to prove. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's like a nobleman, I guess, or like a member of the aristocracy. Tavington's character, the whole backstory with Tavington is that his father squandered away all their money, and now he's trying to restore honor and glory to the Tavington name or something like that. (laughs) I don't know. And he thinks by being an evil fuck, he will get the appreciation of his majesty. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's going to continue to be the bad boy of the Redcoats for the rest of this movie. Also, Cornwallis had a dick in his mouth about George III for the entire time he served. George III made Cornwallis Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. Oh, no! Like, if if Charles Cornwallis could have got on his knees and sucked George Hanover dry, he would have. He would have. Oh, God! Oh, no! Like... That's an image I didn't need. I just... I know. It's a lot. It's money and land and money and land! Benjamin and Gabriel split up to round up men for this militia. Gabriel goes to this little town called Pembroke, where the Howards live, remember? And the girl he's got a crush on. He goes to their church, in the middle of a service, by the way, and asks that any able-bodied men come forward and volunteer for the militia. Meanwhile, there are three victims of the British hanging out of a tree outside. They're all understandably reluctant, right? Mm -hmm. But Anne Howard, I just love her, she stands up and gives them the business. Half the men in this church, including you, Father, and you, Reverend, are as ardent patriots as I. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Is that the sort of men you are? Not the young woman giving the business to all the older men. I knew you'd love this little trivia fact, but Anne's speech was actually inspired by letters Abigail Adams sent to John Adams during the Revolution. I can just picture Abigail sitting up at their farm in Massachusetts going, all these nasty ass men <laughs> talking big talks, but ain't walking long walks. <laughs> like I'm going to stitch that on a pillow. <laughs> everybody up here is like, oh, I want to fight. Oh, I want to get rid of the Texans and the Redcoats. Well, fucking nut up or shut up. I ask only that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. And one by one, all of the young men in the church start to stand up. It's a really great moment. The music is playing underneath it and everything. John go in the opposite direction of Gabriel. I love this part because they go into this little hole in the wall tavern in the middle of the swamp and they walk in and John goes, how do you know this is going to be a good place to recruit for militia? And Benjamin just stands up and goes, God save King George. 
and everyone stands up and draws their pistols and they run out of there. I think we came to the right place. Okay, can we talk about Occam for a second? Yeah, so we're signing men up, and this one really, I don't like him. I don't know what his name is. He's a dirty racist smite supremacist, but uh, he comes up, and he's like, listen. All my ailments, I would make truth for skirmish. No, sir. You can have my negro. He fought in my stead. Occam, get over here. He ain't overly smart. He's strong as a bull. I I don't mean to come off as shocked here because I'm not shocked. It's more like I can't put into words the depravity of sending a person that you legally own to fight a war in your stead. Well, if you'll remember back when we burned the Martin farm, they kidnapped all of the black men and women that worked on the farm to come under the service of the British. Right. And they were like, that's when, the, that's when the one gentleman was like, we're not slaves, we're free men. Your offer of giving us our freedom if we fight for you doesn't mean shit. But like Occam doesn't even get that much at this point. No. He's just being forced to do this. That is just so beyond evil and reprehensible. They've put together quite a motley crew of men and boys to fight in this militia, but after a little training, they're not bad at all. Like, they've actually got Cornwallis spooked. I just love the way that they are just in the woods day after day along the main highways of the Santee taking these motherfucking caravans of supplies out and all these fucking (laughs) redcoats. Like, they are getting the shit done. They're a pack of ghosts. Yeah, they sure are. Led by a ghost. Because they can decimate and then disappear. Exactly. Without a trace. Okay, so the caravan that was with these redcoats they killed is full of Cornwallis's personal effects. His clothes, his weapons. Furniture. His food, his personal correspondence, his pet dogs. Jupiter and Mars, the two Great Danes. They are such gorgeous animals. They are. I would love to have them. I know. And like the militia just starts partying with all his stuff. (laughs) They're eating his food, drinking his liquor, stealing all the ammunition. After the party, the militia goes back to Pembroke so that everybody can see their families. And Gabriel is very excited to call on Anne Howard. I love Peter continuously pretending like he can't hear people <laughs> with his little ear horn. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I've come to call on Anne. I've come to call on Anne. Well, of course you call yourself a man. Father, stop it. You heard him. Well, call on her. Gabriel spends the night in the Howard's home, and we learn about a charming little tradition known as bundling bags. Rape deterrent. Bundling bags are rape deterrents. He's lying in this bed and sitting on the bed with him, and her mother is standing over Gabriel, sewing him into a burlap sack. Hope you don't have to pee in the night. You're right. It's like Olivia Newton-John being sewn into that dress. (laughs) Only not, because this is rape deterrent, and that was a musical. Yeah, this is... (laughs) It's weird, but I'm glad that they're looking out. And then you know what she does. She gets him back for his little ink in the tea prank all those years ago. Uh-huh. She gives him tea and his teeth are black as night. And they would have been for a long time. Yeah, because you didn't have toothbrushes and toothpaste, really. I mean, you did, but like it was a stick with some horse hair on the <laughs> end of it. 
Like, that was it. And I bet you they weren't using Crest toothpaste either. <laughs> no. One day, the militia attempt to take possession of another caravan belonging to the British. To make a long story short, the British are a little more prepared than they are. They've got more men. And what ends up happening is the militia gets split up and about 18 men are taken captive by the Redcoats. The remaining militia go back to camp and morale is real low. Real low. They're trying to figure out what to do to get the captured men back. And Benjamin is off on his own, licking his wounds, and this is where Gabriel demands to know the specifics of what happened at Fort Wilderness. Fort Wilderness is mentioned all throughout the beginning part of the film. Something happened at Fort Wilderness in 1760-whatever-the-hell that Benjamin was a part of and will not talk about. Yeah. Like that great opening line. At the beginning of the movie? Yeah. I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me. And the cost is more than I can bear. And I'm going to spare you most of the audio of this, because Benjamin's description of the events at Fort Wilderness are very graphic, very awful. To make a long story short, you know what? You know what? Why don't you do this? Because this makes me dry heave. So the Fort Wilderness campaign in the French and Indian War, the British came down really hard on the French and part of their Native American counterparts in this part of the world. Because basically, in the farther western territories, the first Europeans, say in Indiana, Mm -hmm. for example, were French people. They came down from Canada. They were the first white men to reach Indiana. Is that why Lafayette is up there by the uh, Michigan border? Monsieur Hamilton, Monsieur Lafayette. Yeah. (laughs) And the, the British came down really hard, cut these men apart... And sent their body parts down to their Native American allies. And not too long after that, the Native Americans broke their treaty with the French, making British victory that much more swift in the French and Indian War. And this, in this fictional narrative, Benjamin Martin was supposedly a part of that and did some really awful things to some Frenchmen. We were heroes. And men bought your drinks. And not a day goes by where I don't ask God's forgiveness for what I did. He's lauded as a hero for his actions at Fort Wilderness. But he's kind of changed his ways since then. I think after a while, he realized um what he did. And it's haunting him. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's where the uh, I fear my sins line comes from. All right, moving on from that horribleness. It's about this time that Occam turns up with a wounded Dan after they were separated from the rest of the group. The British got 18 of our men at Fort Carolina. They're going to be hung one at a time until they give up the rest of us. And they're not going to do that, so they're going to they're gonna hang. Yeah. You know? So Benjamin rides into Fort Carolina under a white flag. He comes in peace, and he brings with him Mars and Jupiter, the Great Danes that belong to Cornwallis as a sign of good faith. They sit down <laughs> in Cornwallis's office to go over terms. You have 18 of my men. I want them back. But I I do have 18 criminals under sentence of death, but I I hold no prisoners of war. If that's your position, 18 of your officers will have to die. 19 if you hang me with my men. My officers? He even has 
has receipts. He points out the window and hands Cornwallis a spyglass. He's like, check it out. And he sees what looks like 20 redcoats lined up on a ridge far away from the fort. Their names and ranks? They refuse to give me their names, but their ranks are nine lieutenants, five captains, three majors, and one very fat colonel who called me a cheeky fellow. You know, this is not the conduct of a gentleman. If the conduct of your officers is the measure of a gentleman, I'll take that as a compliment. As the prisoner exchange is taking place, Colonel Tavington rides into the fort, and he and Benjamin exchange some very intense eye contact. He's like a motherfucker, I've seen you before. Upon realizing who he is, Tavington takes out his sword to kill him, but Cornwallis' second tells him he can't because Benjamin hasn't shown any aggression while he's been in the fort. So what's Tavington gonna do? He's gonna try and bait Benjamin into being violent. You! You! We're all the ghost, are you? I remember you! And that farm, that stupid little boy. Did he die? Hmm? Before this war's over, I'm going to kill you. Why wait? <laughs> Do you feel some big Lucius energy? I, like, I feel Lucius more in this character than in any other Jason Isaac character. <laughs> He's just so palpably evil! This is a mere two years before Lucius makes his screen debut, so I feel like we're practicing a little bit. They're riding away from there, and Benjamin gives a whistle, and Jupiter and Mars get the fuck up and race to follow him out of Fort Carolina. He's got the loyalty of Cornwallis' dogs. The look on the general's face. <laughs> And it's about to get worse. The best thing about this so-called prisoner exchange is that by the time the militia is safely away from Fort Carolina, the Redcoats go up to the ridge to rescue their men, only to discover that the militia has just stuffed some Redcoat uniforms. They're scarecrows, guys. <laughs> They're scarecrows and Redcoats. Oh, my God! One of our captured officers, my lord. My reputation suffers because of your incompetence. That man insults me. Following this humiliation, Cornwallis gives Tavington permission to start using his brutal tactics to find Benjamin Martin and his militia. That man insults me. <laughs> well, yeah, he took your dogs. <laughs> I just love how mad he is. He's so upset that he got taken by the militia. Also, Cornwallis is queen in this getup that he's got on. <laughs> this robe that he has on while he's eating. Yeah. A total queen. <laughs> I think this is how he wants to look for the king. This is great. I love it. He's giving off big Queen Charlotte vibes here. This is where Captain Wilkins, Adam Baldwin, comes back into the fold. Hi, you dirty loyalist. You're really cute, but I hate you. He's been around this whole movie, but his role isn't hasn't really been important until now. He's the one who said at the General Assembly that anyone who goes against the crown deserves to die a traitor's death. A little harsh there, Holly. God. Um, and Tavington wakes him up out of a dead sleep to ask him for all the information he has on the Martins. This next part is really harrowing because based on Wilkins's information, Tavington is able to find Aunt Charlotte's plantation where Benjamin has stashed the children. And like... 
I know what you mean about this part. You really don't care that her plantation house got seized. Like, listen, there's this really tense sequence where she's trying to sneak the kids out of the house and Tavington narrowly missing finding Samuel and, like, all of this shit. And, like, they're running out in the night. And, like, basically it gets to the point where, you know, the militiamen creep up to take the kids away. Mm-hmm. And then they're running away with the kids. But Charlotte hangs back and she's just got horror in her eyes watching her house burn. Yeah. And in that moment I was like, I don't give a fuck. You don't give a fuck that that plantation house was burned to the no, ground. No, burn it up. You own people, Charlotte. I really don't have a lot of credit to give you here. Like, I know. Like, I know exactly what you mean. I don't care. I'm saying I don't care about her pain. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, she has no real pain. Yeah, she lost her home, but her livelihood is built off the backs of others, and I really don't care. Gabriel takes the children and Aunt Charlotte to a coastal settlement. I believe they're called Gullahs. A Gullah was just, like... like A a, a self-sufficient black community. Yeah, like lowland settlements, uh, primarily black people and other people of color. A lot of them were Creole, and, like, it's just, it's very coastal, very pretty. It's, like, a very nice place to hide, frankly. So Tavington repeats the plan he executed in Aunt Charlotte's over and over again with all of the men who are part of the militia. He goes to their homes, interrogates their families, kills anyone who resists, and burns their homestead to the ground. And this is devastating for many, many reasons. We lose a lot of militiamen here in this. Yeah. Because the devastation is just too much for them to handle. Benjamin gives everyone in the militia a week's furlough so they can attend to their families. He and Gabriel go back to the coast where Aunt Charlotte and the children are hiding. He's really excited to see Susan because he heard that she speaks now, but Susan's not excited to see him. She spends this whole visit avoiding him. She runs away from him when he rides up. I know. And I'm like, oh, God. It's during this time also that Gabriel and Anne finally tie the knot here on the settlement. I love when they're sitting down, cutting apples, Uh eating them. And he's like, you once said when I had a family of my own that I'd understand. You were right. You're trying to tell me something. And then the Howards just come riding up. (laughs) And the way Ben's just like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) We're going to marry the Howard girl. (laughs) And like, it's a beautiful ceremony, a gorgeous reception with singing and dancing and lights. It's beautiful. It's in the wake of all this romance that Benjamin decides that he's in love with Charlotte. Oh, the weird scene by the the ocean? Yeah. Yeah. They just kind of quietly exchange eye contact and kiss. And like, it's just as muted and polite as you would imagine. And I'm like, your dead wife's sister? Could we not? Yeah, Ben, like, I'm sorry. I understand you miss your wife, but she's not your wife. She's never gonna be your wife. You're right. He's just like, you know what? This might as... Like, I feel like the vibe here was like, well, this might as well fucking happen. I could be dead tomorrow. I feel like they were like, huh, we need a woman in this plot. You know what I mean? One who's not Anne. And like, it's kind of like Star Wars. Look, it's Mon Mothma, the only other woman in the galaxy. (laughs) It's like, oh, look, it's Charlotte Selton, the only other woman on the frontier. All right. This scene where he says goodbye at the end of the furlough absolutely ruins me. He's telling all the children goodbye, and Susan will not tell him goodbye. He's like, Susan, anything? Okay, bye. And, like, he's riding off on his horse, and her little face scrunches up, and she cries out, Papa! Papa, go, say I 
teared up i was like oh sweetheart you let that anguish go oh my god give him a big old hug and she's like she doesn't want him to go she doesn't want him to go away she's afraid he's gonna die and like rightfully she should be and i'm just like oh this poor kid and i'm just like stop it (laughs) i love how in your notes you've written trigger warning this is extra horrible all right okay this is the scene where Anne and her family go back to pembroke And when they arrive, they see that Colonel Tavington and the Dragoons have shown up in the village. Tavington gathers everybody in the church all at once. And he he literally rides into this church on his horse. Yeah, he's in the church with a horse. It's it's like he's the angel of death. Ah. Uh, Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Did not think about that. This is about to get really bad, folks. He starts demanding that someone come forth with information about the militia, and anybody who does come forward will be forgiven their treason. And at first you think, no one's going to say anything. These are all good people. No, that stupid guy in the back has to peep up. They're by the old Spanish mission, right over that way. And And the way he's just like, thank you. Shut the doors. Shut the doors. But you said we'd be forgiven. And indeed you may. That's between you and God. And, um, this is where the dragoons lock the doors with chains and bolt every shutter. And then Tavington turns to Wilkins, cute little Adam Baldwin, and his puppy dog face. And he's like, we're prepared to fire the town, Colonel. And he's like, the town? Burn the church. With everyone inside. And, like, Wilkins is like, hold on, what? There's no honor in this. Like, I remember remember in uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame when Frollo orders Phoebus to burn that windmill with that family inside. Yep. And Phoebus refuses to do it. Yep. As a kid, I was like, oh, he's going to be like Phoebus. He's going to refuse to burn it. This is not what happens. No, he throws that torch right up on that roof. And wow, does that church catch fire fast? But that Almost wood, like it was covered in oil. Like that wood was really dry. <laughs> Almost like it was a set. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here, but... Like, let's not laugh. These people are dying. And like, everyone in the village dies. They Every- burn to death in this church. Everyone, Mr. and Mrs. Howard. Oh, the way Anne's crying. Oh, God, she's sobbing like a child, and her mother's just holding her face. They can't do anything. And you hear the panic and the screaming. It's it's just really horrible. Like the shot of the burning church when all the soldiers are marching out of Pembroke. I'm like, I, I can't. And like, you know, by historical standards, that's a little rough. Yeah, like the... The British never did anything like that. Like, they really didn't. Like, that is a full-on war crime. Yeah, like, like, like I said, it's a war. There's brutality on both sides. But that kind of brutality? I think not. Even more horrible is when the militia hears what the dragoons have done, and they return to Pembroke to find survivors, but they can't find anybody. Like, the Reverend is the only person in this town that is left and that's because he was with the militia they're trying to find remains to bury and suddenly no one can find gabriel 
Like, Gabriel and the younger militiamen have followed the dragoons <laughs> with every intent to ambush them for revenge. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, like, this fight scene, this is some great fight choreography. The whole, all the battles are great. And they're all either beautifully animated or beautifully shot and choreographed. <laughs> you know what is a little hokey for me, though? Tell me. When the cannonball takes off that guy's head. Like, yeah. I'm sure it happened, but, like, the way it's shot, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I forgot about that entirely, and I screamed when it happened. I went, oh! Yeah, I bet you went, oh! (laughs) Just like that. So this ambush starts off pretty hairy, and what eventually happens is the reverend, of all people, goes to blow Tavington's head off, but he runs to Gabriel's aid instead, and Tavington reloads and shoots the reverend dead. And I love this. As the reverend is falling to his death, He throws his loaded musket up into Gabriel's arms, and Gabriel shoots Tavington in the abdomen. And I'm just like, oh, God, that was so cool. If only he had left it at that. He approaches Tavington with a dagger that he just put in some other poor bastard. Do you think he's going to reenact what his dad did to that red coat? I think he's got plans for it. But those plans are foiled when Tavington is not incapacitated and runs Gabriel through his middle with his sword. (laughs) This scene's hard. Because Tavington makes himself scarce, just as Benjamin and the rest of his militia come riding over the hill. And this part is so horrible, because Benjamin goes right to Gabriel, who is literally clinging to life. And Gabriel begins apologizing. I'm sorry about Thomas. Oh, son, that wasn't your fault. That was mine. Hold on. You're going to be all right. Don't go. Gabriel, don't. The light leaves Gabriel's eyes, and Mel Gibson does his best acting in the entire movie right here. He's literally giving me, I'm not okay, I'm not okay, I'm not okay face. He's lost his second kid. I know. His firstborn. He's like, I didn't agree to this. I did not. I voted no. So Benjamin is ready to completely disengage, and I don't blame him. Colonel Burwell is trying to encourage him to come with them and his Continental regulars and the rest of the militia for this final big battle of the movie. I love what he says to him. Burwell goes, Benjamin, nothing will replace your sons. But if you come with us, you can justify their sacrifice. Why? Why do men feel... They can justify death. I love that. I know. I love that line. Because I feel that in my everyday life. Yeah. How we can justify and compartmentalize the amount of mass death that we've experienced in the last year. The immensity of that and, and the devastation of it is really too much for most people to bear. Like, they would actually break mentally. I feel like that's what Benjamin's feeling. Yeah. Also, throughout the movie, he's been melting down 
Thomas's bag of toy soldiers that he was playing with at the beginning to make musket balls. Yeah. We get this scene where, like, it's real early in the morning. Everybody's getting ready for this last battle. And he's down to one last tin soldier. Uh-huh. And he knows what he's going to use it for, right? In- indeed. Indeed. And I love how he's just kind of like, hey, fam, can we all get together and decide militia will be at the center of this? Because yeah. I really need to kill Tavington and the Dragoons. <laughs> I really need it. Listen, I know I've done a lot of complaining about this movie and its length, but this last scene is really worth it. This last battle scene, the scale of it all, these British regulars and the Continental regulars and the militia walking in a line to face off against each other. It's just the scale of the whole thing is immense. I am very impressed with bravery against the odds. Like when it looks like you're beaten Mm -hmm. and you're still going to stand up, even knowing you're going to die. Yeah. Like I... All throughout this movie, Cornwallis has been spanking Tavington on the fact that he never waits for Cornwallis's signal before the dragoons run in there, right? Uh-huh. And Cornwallis told him, you know, keep it in your pants. Wait for my signal. Guess what happens? Tavington does not listen. He sees that Benjamin's at the front of the militia. Prepare to charge! Sir, we haven't been given that order. Charge! Charge! Tavington. Damn him! Damn that man! The dragoons and the other redcoats drive the Continentals and the militia over, over the, the hill. hell. <laughs> she wrote over the hell. It's a hill, but the dragoons and the other redcoats drive the Continentals and the militia over the hill. And Cornwallis orders the redcoats to follow them and kill them all. He's like, "I'm sick of this. This ends today. <laughs> I'm sick of being in South Carolina. Kill them all. It ends today." To the Redcoats' ugly surprise, there's a whole nother fleet of Continentals waiting for them over the hill. And, like, Jean is begging everyone to hold the line. Like, the Continentals are trying to get the fuck out of Dodge. Like, nope, nope, this is too much. And this is the moment, isn't it? Yeah, this is, like, this is the moment. This is the movie poster moment. (laughs) Wait! He grabs this American flag out of somebody's hand and he starts running in slow motion up the hill. The other men see him running with that flag and they follow him and he's standing on top of the hill waving it with the sunlight behind him. It is a really beautifully shot moment. I want it reshot with Kate Bush's running up that hill behind it. (laughs) And if I only could, I'd make a deal with God. (laughs) I love it. Anyway. We're off topic. Yeah. (laughs) 
as the Continentals start driving back the British, Tavington and Benjamin finally lock eyes. I love this bit because Benjamin loads his last pellet, the one made from Thomas's t- soldiers, and he fires on Tavington, clips him in the arm. I love the the, the ridiculous spurt of blood that comes <laughs> out of him that's more red than red it should be. <laughs> it is more red than it should be and just comes out in this huge gloop. <laughs> And it doesn't phase him? Oh, no. He's still coming? It's just a flesh wound. Oh, Lord, he coming? (laughs) Uh, Benjamin then takes out his tomahawk and starts going hand-to-hand with Tavington. It's great fight choreography. Tavington, like, I believe it. Yeah. Like, most fight choreography in film, you're like, oh. You're just going through the motions. Yeah, exactly. But, like, I believe this. Yeah. The, they pra- They must have practiced long and hard for this. Like, I really believe they're trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. And so, Tavington cuts Benjamin pretty deep near the end there and brings him to his knees. And th- this, is the mo- this is my favorite moment, y'all. He Try- says, give me the prophecy now. No. Or watch your friends <laughs> Die. That's not what he says. Okay, all right. Wrong movie. <laughs> he says, Kill me before the war is over, will you? It appears you are not the better man. He goes to cut Benjamin's head off, and Benjamin leans to one side and sticks him through with that bayonet. The noise he makes. The gurgling. And the blood coming out of his mouth. And that's the end of Colonel Tavington. Thank God. (laughs) Like, that's just some real big emotional payoff after everything he's done in this movie. The British sound the retreat, and the entire tide of the war turns. Do you want to take them through the end of the war? (laughs) The Battle of Yorktown. 1781. Okay, so here we are. This is the famous final battle. We don't have a huge sequence in this because we just had one. Yeah. And <laughs> basically, you know, this whole thing is Benjamin writing to Charlotte, like, hey, we got him to we got him to Yorktown. We got Cornwallis surrounded after he fled north after that battle. And um, he tried to retreat to the sea, but he couldn't. George Washington escaped from the north undetected and surrounded Cornwallis, who could not retreat to the seas. It was blocked off by our long-lost friends, who had finally arrived. Vive la France. Vive la liberté. They're here! Guys! The French are here! Yeah! Like, right at the last minute. Thanks, Rochambeau. And I love that little moment between John and Benjamin. Oh, when they're staring at the ships coming in? Uh-huh. No, in the music wells, it makes me well. Basically, Cornwallis, <laughs> I love him standing in the very battered house that everyone is firing at. I love how his second in command is like, girl, <laughs> please. <laughs> Wave that flag, baby! He basically appoints someone down the line to wave the white flag for him. He's too embarrassed! Yeah. And, uh, they won! (laughs) You guys know how that goes, right? (laughs) And the rest is, as they say, 
history. Benjamin gets his family. He goes home. Only to find he goes. Everyone beat him home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he goes back to the site where his house used to stand, only to find that the members of the militia are rebuilding his house. Gabriel said, "If we won the war, we could build a whole new world." Just figured we'd get started right here with your home. The screenwriter said that what they were going for here is this idea that the great aim of the American Revolution is incomplete. I mean, that's what it was supposed to be. Like the idea that even though we've won our independence, there's still not equal rights for everybody. You know who won the American Revolution? White male landowners? White Christian male landowners. And you know who profited from that? Over at least the next century and a half? White male landowners. Yeah. Like, they were the ones who rebuilt America in their image, right? Indeed. We're living in it now. It's not this integrated kumbaya feel. Like, it's too rosy for me to swallow. Like, an integrated army fought for our independence. And we didn't have an integrated army again until Korea. We, quote, freed some black men for fighting in independence, but slavery wasn't over until almost 100 years later. And then we just continued to oppress black people in new ways. By putting them in prison and framing them for crimes they didn't commit. And criminalizing drugs to an unrealistic extent. So I'm just choking on that whole rosy little ending. I can't handle it. This is something I would like everyone to remember about the American Revolution. The chief militant of this revolution our first president, owned people, did not free his slaves. Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence, was a slave owner. He was a rapist. People never think about this shit just because they're on our fucking money. The 4th of July, like I said at the top, used to be one of my favorite times. Mm -hmm. It means nothing to me anymore. And I really hate that. And it's really sad. I hate that for you, too. Because I love history. But, like, I love history. I love the facts. Not the whitewashed revisionist shit. No. The the simple narrative taught in every history class is (laughs) demonstrably false and pedagogically classes. Don't you know the world is built with blood? God, I'm depressed. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. We talked about the stupid movie and put ourselves in Depression Corner. Say something funny. What can I say? Tough titties. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway. All right, guys, thanks for sticking around for that depressing mess. Thank you. (laughs) Like, I just, I needed to get that out of the way. Luckily, next week, we're going to be moving on to a much lighter topic. Yeah, a nice little summer flick for everybody. Who's ready to talk about America's pastime? Please. So, do-do-do-do-do-do. You're killing me, Smalls. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Next week, we're going to be talking about the 1993 film, 
The Sandlot. Yay! I love it so much. I love that movie. I remember the first time I ever saw this movie, so this is going to be a really good time. So be on the lookout for that, guys. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at KickInStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at KickingInStreamingPodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to be joining our little watch party. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry mom. mom.